Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reaction podcast where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. Each brave guest provide insight into their journey. This podcast does not replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host author, Bon Galt and her guest. Welcome to CVAR, a COVID vaccine adverse reactions podcast. I'm your host, Vaughn Galt, and today we talk to UK citizen Wayne Cunnington about his adverse events after receiving the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine and what we can learn from his testimony. So with that, Wayne, welcome to CVAR. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Um, thank you for, for coming on and accepting the inv invitation. Now, if you are watching this episode on YouTube, please go to the show description below and click on any of the links below, which will take you to other video sharing platforms to see the full interview. If you are watching this on any other video sharing platforms already, or listening to it to any of the other 65 podcast sites, then this episode will play uninterrupted. So for you YouTube viewers, I will see you soon. Now let's get started, Wayne. Um, we have a lot to cover and there's a your specific experience is very relatable for people who have been vaccine injured by various brands of the COVID-19 vaccine. So before we get into what your life is like now, can you please describe what your life was like before you got the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine? Yeah, so um, I was always very busy, always very active. I uh, worked all the time. I used to go to the gym. I used to go for a run. I used to love going for walks. And I live right near to a park near me. So I'd always be doing something. Um, being out in the sunshine, it, it's just nature, natural to me, you know, because I love the sunshine. I love, love getting the tan as well. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Uh, what did you do for work before? I used to work for a um, major food retailer. Um, so I used to do a couple of different roles for them. I used to be like a fire safety uh, role. Um, I used to train people up, but also like do store training as well at the same time. But then also working with food deliveries in the mornings as well, like from like five o'clock in the morning. Um, so my, my day would be quite mixed, but I, I would, have to be spending a lot of time being a very active um, but I was very fit so I, I found it very easy to do so yeah so you you had quite a you had a normal kind of working life and you were pretty active as well so mm. let, so let me ask you let, let's take us to the steps so that people can understand kind of where what got you to where you are right now 
Where did you get the information about the efficacy, safety, and potential risks of this vaccine before you took it? Because we want to understand your thought process. Um, in the UK, it works very differently to some other countries, I think. Um, it was all over the news about um, people's health risks and dying. And, and it was just something that you should do because the country is all on lockdown. You need to have your vaccines. You need to be safe. You need to keep your family safe. So when you get the call to come and get your vaccine, um, make an appointment and uh, get it done. There were no risks mentioned. Um, on where? On like the news or like where? Nothing. Have you... Nothing. Anywhere. No risks anywhere. The mainstream media here um, kept it very quiet. The government's kept it very quiet. Um, they've never admitted from day one that there would be a risk to health. Um, even now, they still don't want to acknowledge that there's a problem. But last Friday or Thursday, I think uh, there was an MP in the House of Commons. He actually stood up for everybody who's been injured and actually said, can I draw your attention to the UK's yellow card site? Because this is our version of theirs. And they actually stood up and said that there had been 1,600 deaths of, in the UK of people from the vaccines. There have been over a million people injured. Um, but these are only reported cases. Many cases don't actually reach that stage because doctors, medical experts, don't want you to uh, register it because there's a narrative to keep it, the possible uh, risks as low as possible. Let me ask you something about that, because that is something that's very common in many of these adverse reaction um, registry sites, e even the various in the United States and the U card, U yellow card in the UK. Um, everybody talks about the Harvard study where about 1% actually gets re reported. And that's prior to the COVID-19 vaccines that were pushed out, mm -hmm. no matter the brand. That's just in general for any of these reporting systems for any kind of immunizations. Um, when it comes when it comes to this specific um, type of vaccine, the mRNA vaccines, um, there seems to be a consistent message with a lot of people, especially the vaccine injured, that there's a lot of pushback to acknowledge that there's any kind of link. Is does that contribute to why um, a lot of medical professionals resist submitting it into the yellow card system? Well, there's, there's a government narrative to not report because they want people to be taking up the vaccines. And if anything negative comes out about them, it would stop people doing so. Okay. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want as a medical professional to give everyone informed consent so they know all the risks, all of the potentiality so they can make that decision? Uh, isn't that something that they want people to do so they can basically avoid liability and lawsuits in the future? Because that's that in clinical trials, that's one thing that's very, very seriously taken when it comes to trial participants is that you know all the risks so that you kind of well, waive liability. That's what you would think. That's what you, you would think. But um, all the way along, there's been a government narrative with my doctor right from the word go said that you know it was linked to the vaccine my problems 
But like in the months afterwards, he's trying to say, well, maybe it wasn't a vaccine, maybe it was something else, because there's a constant change that they don't now want to link vaccines to side effects. They want to hide the truth. What, what is the, this is the thing that I really don't understand because this happens in the United States as well uh, when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine injured. What, what are they afraid of by acknowledging the, the, the coincidental link? What are they afraid of? Well, they're, they're afraid that people won't, will stop having the injections because if they stop, then there has to be more pressure like is what is happening in other countries. You're having multiple people not taking up the vaccine, same in Australia um, at the moment. So they're doing extended lockdowns to put more pressure on the people to have their freedoms back by having vaccinations. Here, we had a large number of people take the vaccines early because there was no information coming out about the risks. All of a sudden, there was some people having accident uh, injuries like myself, which slowed things down a little, um, which is why the, the change of narrative has come in to say, cut the links to any injuries. Keep it quiet. And that's coming from the UK government or is that coming from the UK public health authorities? It's got to come from the government directly and they would then pass it on to everybody else because it's all linked, isn't it? So it, so it, 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 is, it is a reasonable conclusion to say that the government, the UK government is sponsoring the mass vaccination rollout. That's what it seems to be, doesn't it? Because, right. I mean, your your uh, chief medical officer would have the same sort of connection to the American government, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, because the rollout, the rollout in in the United States seemed to follow months later, uh, very similar pattern with the UK. Mm. Um, and so they're following the same protocol, the same script, whereby at first. Uh, there's the the media um, messaging to go get it for various you know good civilian citizen uh, messaging, and then there is the incentives, and then now there's the mandates, and then followed by the passports. So there's all different coercion tactics, if I um, can name it that, to get people to get the jab. Now let me ask let me ask you this: the whole point of getting the jab is to protect you from. Um, the virus, but as, if someone doesn't want to get the jab, like early on when you were considering it, were you informed by any other major news sources of any cheap and successful methods to treat COVID-19 aside from the jab? Like, did you hear of no. anything else? No, certainly not. There was okay. no alternatives. Um, so you even, you didn't even have a choice about which vaccination you were going to have because the AstraZeneca vaccine is a, is a UK company that's the only one they're promoting. Okay, so you had no choice in other other options and basically you're, you're using the one that the, the, your country makes. And uh, throughout all 2020, when cases of COVID-19 were cropping up throughout the country and throughout the world, you didn't hear of any success, any stories or any news coverage of successful treatments that were being administered to um, infected patients nothing no, nothing it was so it was a, a news blackout here about 
pretty much what was happening elsewhere in the world. It's only if it suits the narrative. Um, what do you mean by news blackout? Like, like you can't just go into the search engines and, and, and look or? Well, any, any other search engine apart from Twitter would actually tell you differently. This is what I've noticed since February. Since I had my, my injury, um, I had time in my hands and I was actually just searching for my phone past time when I was in hospital. And I discovered a whole new media narrative happening. And it just opened my eyes. It really did. And 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 how? Where? What sources? Because we know that um, there's an algorithm at play with Google search engines, and with um, you know, it's been debated if Yahoo and and Bing has the same type of algorithm, um, and YouTube and and some of these other big tech companies have the same similar algorithm to censor anything that goes against the um, the who's advocacy for safety and pushing the vac the ro rollout. So not to say that people should or shouldn't get it, but they should get all the information so they can make informed consent. Well, they, they certainly should now, yes, definitely. Yeah. So where did you get these information that you were not privy to before? What, what sources did you find? Well, basically, most of the information I've since discovered all come through Twitter. Um, mm. There's a couple of sharing sites. I think BitChute is one. Um, I think there is another one as well. My, my, my brain is very fuzzy, okay. so I, I have difficulty in remembering details specifically. But yeah, it just opened a whole new world for myself. Um, before, you had no reason to doubt the government, because if the government's telling you there's a serious health risk and you need to do certain things to protect yourself and your family, your friends, you believe them. If the, the media, the press, the papers, newspapers tell you the same, then you just go along with it. You you have no doubt, no reason to not trust them. It's right. only since I discovered all this, it's uh, from February, March time, that I suddenly realized, well, hang on, what was happening here? Um, and you really cannot trust your government and your, and your media. Yeah. A, that's quite a shocker. That's quite a shocker for a lot of people. Like, so when you finally start de developing these symptoms and going through your medical um, experience with trying to, to resolve the suffering in your, in your experience, but then you started searching and searching and searching. And then you, from that search, you found other sources and started looking at the other information and r recognized that both sides of the discussion were not presented to you. So what was the other narrative that you discovered that was not presented to you before you took this, the jab? That there were so many people being injured by the, the vaccines. Um, I discovered a, a lovely app called Clubhouse. Just through a chance conversation with a couple of uh, lovely ladies I met through Twitter. Um, and you get the chance to speak to other people who've been injured. Mm -hmm. and two medical doctors who then start talking about ivermectin and hydro, hydroxychloroquine. And you suddenly discover that there were other treatments available for so long. But then you wonder, well, why isn't my government talking about it? Or the newspapers? The only thing that was available was getting a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. 
and 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 there there's a, a heavy discussion about um at home treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine amongst many other different ones that doctors worldwide were administrating to covid vaccine uh, to covid uh, patients um and found success early on for early treatment but um even even now that many people are aware to this information and it is being shared through different sources from people around the world because people have friends and family around the world so they share information but um even now there is is a propaganda against ivermectin that everybody's taking the horse dewormer and they're going to hurt themselves taking the veterinarian version where whereby it's actually a um, prescription given by an MD or a nurse through any kind of pharmacy or online pharmacy. And they actually send you the human version of it, but that is not being discussed. It's everybody who takes ivermectin is getting the dewormer. So what do you think about like, now that you're learning that there's um, other solutions that can help that even if you catch COVID and you, uh, as a vaccinated person, you are in the same boat as somebody who's unvaccinated, who still have to address it early on with whatever treatments um, that you're able to to get. So now that you know that, what are your thoughts about those early treatment options? Well, I now know that the first thing you should be doing is having better care of yourself. You need some basic supplements. As soon as you have a vaccine, you realize that your natural body's immune system has been destroyed by the vaccine coming in and replaced by its own. So you need to be replacing your body's supplements, vitamin C, um, vitamin D, zinc, as a basic, just to protect yourself. Because the finding here, and probably the same in America as well, mm-hmm. in those first few weeks after having a vaccine, you're more susceptible to catching COVID and other things because your body's got no natural protection anymore. So I look after myself better now that way um yeah. also take more uh, smoothies and natural f- fruits and fruit drinks but also got myself some ivermectin through a friend of a friend mm-hmm. um are you able to helps. are you able to um order it on the online pharmacy or a pharmacist in your area ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine no you have to get it in internationally um i spoke to my doctor about this and i've spoke to a few consultants in hospital about this and they've all heard of ivermectin because it's been mm-hmm. around for so many years. They used to mm-hmm. use it here routinely in the 90s and mm-hmm. onwards. But because of big pharma, they just don't allow them to use it because there's just not enough money to be made from it. Yeah, it's, it's a cheap pill. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the best thing in this country at the moment, I've heard that American companies are making their own versions of ivermectin. Although they say... Don't use ivermectin because it's a horse strength. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous. They're also making their own versions of it, which they're going to sell for much, much more money. While AstraZeneca, the UK company, I'm doing the same. Uh, I'm in regular contact with them because I, I registered my, my injuries directly with them. And I'm actually part of their Liverpool neurological team. Supposedly, they're helping going to help me they haven't helped me so far but they were supposedly going to help me at some point but they told me that they were doing trials with uh, an ivermectin um, supplement or something that they created on covid patients so 
unvaccinated and unvaccinated or just vaccinated patients that catch COVID? Um, they didn't actually stipulate that. They just said people who've got COVID. Okay, so all people who got COVID, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that 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 so the question that I want to ask you about that is okay, so the narrative about um, early treatment options at home with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or any of these uh, other types of um, cheap at-home supplements that you can take are being pushed away for everybody to get the jab in the UK. That's right. And then once, once you become a COVID patient or you are injured, that falls apart and now they're going, here, take it take ivermectin, take these type of things. Things that you should have been, they're not. They're still not giving you ivermectin. Basically, if you go into hospital now and you have COVID, um, if you haven't had a vaccine, this is what some friends I've uh, been in touch with have experienced, that they won't still give you ivermectin. They'll let you battle for your life or put you on a ventilator. If you pull through, fantastic. If you don't, then you'll, you, you die and then you record it as having COVID. They are giving ivermectin in some cases to people who are vaccinated because they want these people to pull through. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying that the hospitals in the UK are picking and choosing who they treat with ivermectin once they there come in there? There have been cases of this. There was a few I was reading, I was, some, somebody put some of the experiences on Twitter from Ireland and they'd experienced similar cases as well. It's, it's tra- quite tragic. Okay, so this, so this is supposed to be a compassionate government and doctors are supposed to have a, what they call a Hippocratic oath to treat. And for many countries, it's illegal to refuse to treat patients regardless of their personal choices, what brought them into the hospital, et cetera. Like if, like here in the United States, if somebody just dumps somebody else in the front of an ER, let's say they're having a, I don't know, a drug episode. They don't know anything about the patient. They would take him in and they would treat them. That's how yeah. it is. It is supposed to be. But, um, and I, from what I, I have learned from other people in the UK, that's how it's supposed to be in the UK. But now you're telling me that in the UK, when it comes to COVID, if you're coming in and it it seems like COVID, that they're letting the unvaccinated basically uh, risk, high risk of dying. And then the unvaccinated, just they're giving the- um, You're getting preferential treatment, you are, because I was in the hospital again recently because my condition is ever changing and I was getting brain inflammation. So I was in hospital two different weekends with brain inflammation. What it causes is body numbness. And what I could see and hear, as soon as you hear that, um, oh, you've, you've, been, you've had one vaccination, so you then get less treatment than somebody who's had two vaccinations. Do they prove it? Do they ask you to prove it so that people don't say, I have both vaccines? No, because I was just naturally honest. If I'd have said I'd had both, then I might have got better treatment or better care. Um, but friends of mine, they've been in hospital recently. If you don't have a vaccine, if you ever had a vaccine because you don't believe everything the government's telling you, they tell you to go and wait in another room. Ah, 
that this that is, is this is the accident emergency room so you should all be in the same areas together that is really really alarming to hear that basically hospitals in the uk are picking and choosing once you come in who is going to get ivermectin and who is not going to get ivermectin depending on their vaccination status i'm not saying everybody's given the ivermectin because at the moment they still don't really want to acknowledge it but there has been cases of people getting ivermectin okay and they don't give it to you er at early onset they give it to you when you are really dire which is the complete opposite of what many doctors worldwide who promote um, early treatment say you do it within the first onset of any kind oh, of respiratory God. issues yeah. like so if you, you feel like yeah yeah That's what should happen yeah so like uh like if, if like if you get the common cold or flu you know what that feels like but if you feel like heavy chest compressions heavy breathing issues and it's something more serious than common cold and flu you take it at early onset Mm. along with what, whatever, you know, regiment that you are doing for cold and flu. And that's the home treatment that many doctors around the world who have been trying to promote ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, along with uh, zinc and others have been telling people, but, but, you're, but you're telling me one in the UK, you can't even get it. You can't even order online unless you know somebody internationally that's going to send it to you. This is it. Most doctors won't actually even acknowledge it. I try to speak to my GP because I've taken some ivermectin and we try to have a conversation about it. And he said, well, where did you get it from? And I said, well, you know, friend of a friend. Well, why are you taking it? This is because it's the only thing that seems to be proven that to, will treat, you know, either COVID um, effects or actually like people who've had vaccine injuries, it's very good at treating a lot of those um, conditions as well. A lot of my friends have been telling me through the vaccine injury groups that I'm in, but the GPs, they still won't accept that. They say there's not enough proof that it helps, it works. Okay, but that that's what, what okay. So, th I mean, there is definitely a heavy discussion, but that's what they say, but there are hundreds of and thousands of doctors worldwide that's already administering it around the country, exactly. around the world. It's, it's and a narrative. Yeah, and there is dozens and dozens of paper, if you go to DuckDuckGo, uh, of scientific research um, that, that goes over it. So the question is, for the people who are vaccine injured who are taking ivermectin, for example, how, what, what is the frequency that you guys are taking it? Because you guys are going against uh, what your GP is telling you to do because it sounds like the GP is not really giving you guys any solutions and you no, are basically right. deteriorating. So you're, you're willing to try. There's online doctors. I mean, I spoke to quite a few through like this clubhouse I spoke about, but also there's a number on Twitter who will also help as much as they can. And they give you a basic protocol. Their recommendation is like a six milligram dose every day, along with, I think it's whatever it is of uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, and that is if you've got a serious case of COVID and, you know, the zinc, it really should then help you pull through within a few days. And it's proven to be true. I mean, things, is it Joe Rogan, a top uh, TV? Oh, yeah. In interview. Mm -hmm. yeah. He had a similar sort of thing and he, he spelled it out exactly. And uh, yep. yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, if you, for people who are, are not able to get access to this in your country for whatever reason, you can, uh, a lot of the doctors um, will say quercetin. 
is a vitamin supplement that you can buy. Um, it's quercetin, and then you yeah, take it. You take yeah, quercetin, um, and then you take it with zinc and magnesium, and then there's some other vitamins as well that will help um, kind of emulate the effects of ivermectin or toxicloroquine. It's basically the cells trying to get the nutrition that it needs. Now, are mm. now I'm not I'm don't want to go too far into that because um, but you guys can get that information. Uh, there's plenty of doctors yeah, that are talking about myself. it. Quite a few people have tried to help me over the last few months. I say I've tried to help people with informational videos like like today. Right. Just to try and help other people through their experiences. Right. And at the same time, others are coming back to me with advice about. Um, you, you guys know. are sharing. So so it's, so people are not yeah. able to rely on their doctors. So they're basically sharing firsthand knowledge of what they're trying, they're experiencing, um, and where they're getting yeah. the information from censored doctors around the world. So there are doctors around the world that are talking about um, solutions for the vaccinated who are getting, who are experiencing symptoms and, and solutions for the unvaccinated, you know, regarding, you know, if you catch COVID, there are doctors around the world, but they're just being censored. So you have to be able to find them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're highly credible doctors with, um, with a wonderful history of being advisors to governments, to hospitals, to different um you know, companies, etc. So they're not quack jobs, but they oh. are being suppressed. So, yeah, so you're getting the information. That, you know, I want to get off this topic as well, but I want to kind of close out with this topic of ivermectin and early home treatment. So, sure. um, are you taking it on a daily basis? Because no. you're no. So it's only part of your cold and flu regimen if you catch something serious. If, yeah, I mean, I, I take a lot of supplement. Um, sorry, I took a lot of medications anyway. And my problem is at the moment, I try to keep on top of the hypertension, which the uh, COVID vaccine kindly left me with. So I now do need to try and control my blood pressure every day. I have to keep on top of my migraines and other headache uh, issues. And it's a lot of medications to keep on top of. And I don't like to take too much of anything else in case it all causes issues, conflicts. Um, but yes, I mean, obviously, if I do feel a cold or something similar coming on, then I can easily introduce something else just to keep on top of it. Okay, so you have, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, the, the new norm that I'm hearing from you and I've heard from other um, people who also are vaccine injured for this podcast of CVAR, it's kind of like, you know, when we get our the cold and the common cold and flu, everybody feels it, and then they immediately start doing early home treatments. Like, oh, I feel something coming down. I'm gonna, you know, kind of relax. I'm gonna have, you know, everybody has their regimens. But now with uh, COVID being a part of the normal cold and flu, if you feel something more, such as heavy respiratory and you feel it even more severe than you want to have in your cold and flu regiment ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine on hand along with these other supplements to help that help you know um, amplify its effects and then if you don't have access to that in your country you want to get the vitamins that emulate the same effects like quercetin magnesium vitamin c vitamin d um you know uh nac Glutathione. Um, those are those are the common ones that many of these sensor doctors are promoting. And I'll put that in the link 
uh, the, the links for those resources on in description for for people who are listening to this because it yeah, sounds sure. like it sounds like Wayne from what you're saying that um, the hospitals right now are kind of in a struggle between treating patients without any kind of medical discrimination as respectable professionals and being pulled along mm -hmm. by the government um, motives to promote the jab and nothing else. So it sounds like the hospitals are kind of in that catch-22 um, and these, the people who are suffering are the people, are, are the patients. And so they have, at this time, they have to almost advocate for themselves and um, get information for themselves and, um, you know, no, no protocols just as in case. So that's a very, that's a very dangerous uh, situation to put the public in. I mean, I mean that's... Yes, it's very alarming. So we'll put that information in the description for you guys. So you guys are aware, um, you Definitely. know, there, there is a, there is a quote I heard somewhere um, a long time ago that God's children die from lack of information. Mm, they do. Yeah. So if you're privy to you the know, information. People make better decisions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Let's 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 go on to this, the question about COVID nineteen. So all all of this is based off the fears of COVID nineteen being highly deadly. Uh, mm. Where did the fear of it of dying from COVID nineteen come from? Because plenty of people survive it. It has a ninety seven to ninety nine percent survival rate without any oh, of no, the others without the other other treatments. But if you put the treatments on it, it has a higher survival rate. Mm. See, um, last year my mother died. She um, had um, early onsets and then she did develop COVID when she was in hospital. And many people of a certain age also develop COVID because your body is in a weakened, weakened state. You can't fight natural diseases, illnesses. Um, and if you had things like ivermectin or hydrochloxy, hydroxychloroquine, your body can then at least have a better chance of fighting something. But these things weren't introduced here. Um, it's almost as if the people were just basically left to die. And just to drive up the figures or the case rates, so they could then introduce vaccinations. And that seems to be what they're still doing this year. The vaccinations the lead. Right. Okay. So it, it, it is fear-mongering, mm. it is propaganda. Okay, so- They're um, using that through the PCR testing, you know, that they have been told to not use anymore in America. You know, they have to replace it with something better by December. Well, in this country, they're still using PCR testing and they're telling people to get tested every day. If you don't feel well, get tested. Uh, your schools have to do it every day, workplaces have to do it every day. As long as they can prove that there's still a, a risk or that fear, whether it works or not, it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that, that all they want is that positive. Whether it's a proof that you've got flu, influenza, you've recovered from COVID, but you're still testing for COVID, it doesn't matter. All that they want is a, a positive test. Right, right. And, 
Right. It actually it is still happening in the United States, whereby they're, they're, the PCR tests are, are, are being administered um, in a lot of different ways. And now they're trying to roll out the, um, the mandates and the passports and or a negative COVID test, the PCR test. But the, the PCR tests are not, you know, are not supposed to be used in this frequency. And they actually say on the, P on the PCR test makers websites um, that they sterilize them with eth ethylene oxide, which is a cancer causing agent, according to the um, NIH and many other medical resources that ethylene oxide does increase the risk of causing cancer. Um, with constant exposure. So if you're taking it every single day, every couple of days, every single week, you're taking it on a frequent basis. Mm. Um, and, and that's just some way to detox it. The question is, is how, will, will, will these people who are taking it on a frequent basis be developing cancer in their future? Because there's a high potentiality of that with the constant exposure. It even states that in the, um, the PCR makers uh, websites, that that's mm. how they sterilize it, um, and and that's the that's the agent that they use to sterilize it, which is causes cancer if used mm. in a high dosage. So, um, what are your thoughts about the the PCR test being used as a um, benchmark for access to, you know, just different things in society, as you know, with the the passport system? knowing that people are risking getting cancer down the road if they constantly put it up their nose. Well, that's it. I mean, they, first of all, should have been you know, making people aware of the risk in the first place, you know, but they don't give you that option. It's like you're in hospital. Oh, we've got to do you a PCR test to make sure you're okay. You know, you're not bringing in any outward viruses. You don't get a choice. Many places don't give you an option. You've you've had a vaccine, uh, a, a vaccine, then that's fine. But then if you've gone on holiday somewhere, you've still then got to have a lateral flow test or a PCR test to get back into the country. It's it really does not make sense. It's almost like they want to give you cancer. It's just it does not make sense. Yeah, it, they they definitely want to jab everybody. They want to vaccinate everybody, and then they want to basically continue to give everybody the PCR test, which risks higher exposure to cancer. Um, and then if you go to the hospital, um, if you don't get vaccinated, they're basically gonna let you uh, get really dire and may or may not administer ivermectin, which they've been telling everybody not to do because it's supposedly bad. Um, but then if you're vaccinated, you may or may not, you may or may not get ivermectin, but you have a higher chance to get ivermectin. And so, the whole picture that's being displayed from the people who are vaccine injured who are going in to the hospitals and seeing this stuff is that the hospitals are not very compassionate to the suffering of COVID patients, whether they got it from being vaccinated, after being vaccinated, or just on their own. If so that's you a are, consistent if message. If you have been vaccinated, you do have a slightly higher chance of having more compassion. I've seen that with my own eyes. You know. They, they've, they've looked at me because I was only vaccinated once and I couldn't have a further one, not saying I actually would now knowing what I know, mm -hmm. but the risk is too great for me to have another one because of the, the tissue damage that I suffered from my first vaccination jab. But they actually look at you when you're in hospital, knowing that you've only had one vaccination and you definitely do get a different level of care. 
That, that, that is unbelievable. And, you know, what do you think about countries who are moving to a third and maybe even fourth booster shot in order for them to get the green pass? Uh, shocking. It's um, Israel have basically just made sure that all their civilians have had their third dose. And that's way far ahead than many countries. And then I think their premier announced that we're thinking about the fourth one as well. And it's like, it's so crazy. It's just... Once they said that one jab would be enough, and then they said, well, maybe we better give two because that will give you better protection. And then they realized that the protection being offered was much lower than first thought. So it was reduced down from about 70 or 80 percent efficiency, and it's down to about 40 percent. So you get a really, really low protection rate. And then now they're introducing boosters, which is just like six months after your last jab. And then they're talking about you'll need a six month booster every six months. Okay. Just to keep your vaccine pass up to date. Well, the, um, the, 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 there was a video of the health ministry and politicians in Israel who were sitting in a round table. Um, they didn't know that they were recorded. I'll put the link in the description for people to watch it. Um, but I have friends in Israel um, who speak Hebrew and uh, understand it. And they were very shocked to hear that the one of the politicians asked another one, why the Green Pass? And the other one said, the Green Pass has no medical merit. It's just to force people to get the vaccination. It's another coercion mm -hmm. tactic. It's control. Control. And this is that it's all paths are leading that the vaccine is a pathway to control. If there's no medical yeah. merit for it, that's right. For the past, there's no medical merit for the health pass or the passport. There's no there's no medical merit for continuing to get in the vaccinations and the boosters because it doesn't have the efficacy and there's risk factors and there's heavy censorship to not know any of the information. Um, so. It, it all and then all the governments are in the same they're rolling out the same um, programs in the same exact fashion some earlier than others and it because some earlier than others like the uk we're able to look at your example and see what the fallout is so we can learn from it um mm. this is why australia has is like i think their lockdown has been like the eighth week now because they saw the early rollout here see how badly many people were getting injured, which is why they've been very reluctant to take it yeah. up, and which is why the lockdown has been much harder there. The police presence and the army presence has been much harder because they're trying to coerce people to take it. You don't get the hard sell or the, you know, you could win a million dollars, you could have a free burger, you can have a free milkshake. Well, that's the United States. Yeah, but you don't see that in Australia. They don't try that now. They just got the the force. They got the know, they got the, the, the they got the force and pressure. Yeah, that's very interesting too. Um, because I was going to ask you about social pressures. Um, mm. you know, like when when you when you were going to go get the AstraZeneca jab, what you didn't really have any social pressures. That that stuff, those an antics didn't come down. It was all from the government and the media. You know, you need to do this. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect your friends and your family and the people you work with. It was more of a conscience, social conscience. Um, right. you, need to do, you need to do the right thing. 
And so right. you, you, you're led to believe that that is the truth. Um, and so that's what you do. Right, right. I'm very familiar with that. I have family who I have family and friends who are jabbed. I love them very much. I watch them closely um, for any symptoms, uh, and and I have uh, my fair share of stock of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine in the cabinet. In I probably would never use it for my family because we we are up on all the vitamins that you're supposed to be taking for mm. for this. Um, but they're most mostly in stock as a just in case for people that I love. But um, aside from that, I'm very familiar with all of the rhetoric that the jab would be exposed to because I was exposed to. It. I'm very familiar with this. So, but I'm also familiar with the other stuff that was um was suppressed as well so we under we understand the logic that you were thinking of that got you to where you decided to get the jab and i wanted to really paint that picture so that people can stop judging you for making that decision so they mm -hmm. understand what information you were privy to and what you weren't privy to that made that decision to help you make that decision so they can stop judging you and shaming you for um, being vaccine injured, which is unfortunate thing that is going on right now. So walk us through the day that you got your shot. Yeah, so I had my uh, text message from my, uh, my surgery saying I could make an appointment. So I turned up on the day. And it's a basically an outdoor uh, jab clinic in a marquee. So you drive through in your car. Um, they basically don't give you any warnings or any health risks. You're given a sheet that lists basic side effects. Like what? Things like, like Things like an achy arm, uh, dizziness, flat headaches, but nothing seriously to worry about. Um, nothing along the lines of what they've now done because they've actually updated the information form as the months have gone on. It's actually doubled in size, the amount of information you're given and you're actually told to go to see your doctors hmm. or your hospital within so many days of feeling unwell. Let me ask you something. When you, when you went to the pop-up clinic or the pop-up sites uh, for these, um, because... When you went there, did they, when they pulled up the package, did they give you the packet pamphlet so you can open it up and read all the disclaimers like you typically do with anything else? It's a two-sided two um, A4 sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. But basically, they give you that after you've given your job. Okay, so it didn't so really... This no, they don't even provide you, don't even warn you about reading it, needing to read it. They just basically want you to stick your arm out, we want to give you your jab, um, but here's an, a leaflet for you to just take away with you and to have a read. There's no, there's no warning about any risks or any seriousness to it. Right, did you ever keep that leaflet just for yeah, proof? Okay, so if people who got the jab they, and they keep the leaflet, that is- That's your evidence. The, that's your evidence that you were not given full, con full consent of the potential risks. Mm. Okay, right. so um, so you so do you, do you only take one jab with AstraZeneca or do you take two? You take two. I could only take the one because you they warned warn me not to take any more because of the risks to my health, because of the the tissue damage that I under underhand. Do you have your vax certificate? I have a, my vax card. Yes. 
Oh, do you have it with you right now so you can show people who? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Because there, there's always those naysayers who are like, I don't believe it. <laughs> oh, there always will be. They always will be, I know. You see that? Yeah, put it up close for people to see, please. Okay, you guys. So that is that's the that's the certificate for Wayne that they give in the UK. So let me ask you this. Um, can you walk us through your symptoms? So you got the first jab, which is the only one that you have for AstraZeneca. Yeah. Walk us through your symptoms. Like, what were you starting to feel that something was not right? And how soon? So within an hour or two, uh, I'd oh. gone home. Um, I'd, gone, I'd gone home and I thought, I'll get some shopping. Um, just in case I do feel ill for a day or two because some people do have some side effects and they're not able to do what they want to do. So I got some shopping, went home. And, but within that hour or two, I started to feel a bit of a headache. I had an achy arm and I thought, okay, fair enough. We, we, I can deal with this. Um, but it progressed over the, those two hours to such an intense headache. I just couldn't mentally process I couldn't think, um, and I basically just spent the next few days just a lot, spending a lot of time in bed, sleeping, just trying to get off this crazy headache. I mean, I was taking painkillers, um, but it was just not uh, taking any effect at all. Okay, so it started. It started with the the the, the headaches. Now, you said you were experiencing brain fog as well as the headaches, or was there any other yeah. symptoms that you noticed? No, I mean. Um, over the course of the first week, um, it progressed to very, he very heavy headaches. I mean, I had dizziness. Um, yeah, I mean, brain, brain, uh, mental fog. It was um, just a very, very mental fuzziness is the way I could describe it here. It's almost like what I'm feeling now after having the vaccine side effect. Um, people will have long COVID. Um, it's very similar mm. side effects. Um, and I had a almost like a trouble keeping my balance when I was walking. Um, I didn't really do much over the first week. I was ringing my doctors constantly saying, I don't feel right, but don't worry, it's fine. It's just normal side effects. This is the standard narrative that they give you. So every time I rang in, don't worry about it, it's fine. Just don't, you know, you'll, you'll get better. So, so these, so these early symptoms are the were they telling you things like this is just your immune system working or it's just how like, it's meant to be. It's just, just how it's meant, how to, be. It's meant okay. to work. Don't worry about it. Just that was always always the underwritten uh, wording. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay, so that's why it took two weeks for a hospital to take you seriously. Like what yeah. what changed when it? It was, it was what happened was in the second week. I was noticing, noticing more confusion um, and I was really getting quite worried about it. Instead of just feeling, okay, it's, it's something that I can shake off to then feeling, I'm really starting to get worried about this. Um, mm -hmm. The confusion was, was really just starting to hit me and I just, I wasn't really going anywhere. I wasn't going out, doing anything. And I was ringing into my doctor saying, look, I know I've been told, don't worry about this, but I, I really am starting to worry about it. And, but again, continually, they were telling me not to worry about it. 
it's, it's just normal side effects. And it went on until halfway through that week. And I actually had a sympathetic doctor I spoke to who said, well, maybe we can get you in to get, just get you checked over um, and we'll, we'll bring you back. Um, that didn't happen. So I then rang them back again saying, look, I should have been called back about being checked over. Um, another GP said, well, no, but don't worry about it. It's just side effects, side effects just normal side effects. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something about about the GPs in 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 hospital. Um, here in the United States, a lot of the hospitals and clinics are uh, independent of one another. They're not part of a um, government system. Now you have the NHS um, yeah. in England. So are you able to go to other clinics and other hospitals for second or third opinions that are independent of one another? If you don't feel well, you can go to a hospital at any time. But because of the way it affected me, I've become so confused, uh, mentally mixed up. I wasn't aware of how serious I felt. I'd lost that, uh, that awareness, that ability to actually make my mind up on how serious I was. And so I just took the narrative that it's fine, don't worry about it you know, just keep taking some painkillers, some ibuprofen or whatever, and you'll be, you'll be fine. But the last message I got from my doctor at the end, end of that second week was, if you don't feel too well again after the weekend, ring the doctors on the Monday and we'll, we'll get you in, we'll get you checked out and we'll get somebody to look at you. Now, if I'd have realised how serious I was, I would have gone straight to hospital myself. But as it turned out on the Monday when I rang in, I was that delirious, I was that confused, mm -hmm. I wasn't making much sense when I was talking. My doctor got very worried and said, well, I need to see you straight away. Okay, so when you went in, your doctor and the paramedic asked you to exaggerate your symptoms. Why, why <laughs> do you need to bring up the uh, melodrama? Oh, I don't understand, but it's, I was staggering down the corridor trying to walk. I mean, I, should, I, I drove there and I shouldn't have driven because I was in no fit state to drive. But because my mental capacity to think had deteriorated by that point, I just, I just drove there and unfortunately didn't have an accident. And he called an ambulance and was straight away upon seeing me. And they checked me over, uh, took my blood pressure, and it was 203 over 120, which is extremely high. Normal resting rate for an adult is 140 over, say, like 108 uh, over 80, and that's quite suitable. Um, they said, <laughs> um, when you go to hospital and you see your consultant in A and E and accident emergency room, um, just tell them that you're more serious than you are just to make you get seen quicker and get more attention. Right. Um, we were gonna tell you to this, but it's because your, your blood pressure is so extremely high, we don't now need to, to escalate your case. We just, but that's, more, that's serious enough. Um, right, so it's just to get you past the line? Yeah, basically just to get seen quicker, but because it was so extremely high, they obviously didn't need to tell me that. But the fact that they had, I just thought that was very bizarre because here I am, I'm staggering in the doors 
I could hardly walk and I could hardly speak because I was so confused and delirious. And there they were telling me to say how much more serious my case was just to get seen. The play up, play up the theater just so you can get through the bureaucracy. Mm. Oh. I, I am more baffled and baffled the more I find out what's going on in the, in the hospitals around the countries in the world. Let me mm. ask you this. So while you were in the hospital for 11 days, they perform a series yeah. of tests. So I'm going to list some of these tests and I would like you to explain them to, to me so people can understand if they're in this situation and they get these tests, um, how yeah. they can self-advocate for themselves. So what does a blood pressure of 203 over 120 mean? What does that mean to people? Like That's what you had. It's basically putting more pressure on your skull. So you've got more chances of developing some sort of um, brain tissue damage. Mm. Um, it's causing you further risk down the line. So if you ever you did risk, did a test of your own pressures, you need to actually be aware that above a certain level for a period of time is very dangerous for you. I didn't have a blood pressure monitor before all this. So obviously, if I'd have done it myself, I would have re realised. The doctors here haven't seen people in person for a year and a half because of COVID. They're scared. They don't want to see that person. But before now, if I would have said that I was feeling well after a couple of days, it's the first thing that would have been done. Let's check your blood pressure. Let's check your temperature. See what's happening. Yeah. And they would have seen straight away that there was a problem. But because yeah. they delayed my treatment, that in, then in turn caused the, the tissue damage. And the consultant hospital said to me, if only we'd seen you sooner. But you tried and they kept pushing I you tried. back. And they just kept getting pushed back. So, so with regard to the symptoms of feeling high blood pressure, let's say somebody at home is feeling, they got the jab or they're feeling these things and they go and they get a blood pressure um, diagnosis done they could do it, you can get it at the grocery store they have them at the grocery store you could do it at home etc you can buy your own equipment for 20 pounds or i think $30 yeah. so everybody should everybody who's in your situ similar situation they should get a blood pressure test at home so and know how to do it and know how to read it but if they consistently get these high blood pressures like you did at 203 over 120 that means again can you repeat what does that mean to that's happening to your body so basically you're getting headaches because the pressure building inside of your head, um, dizziness or lightheadedness. Um, you, you'll, you'll know that you're, you're not feeling very well. You, you think there's something happening, something not quite right. So then that's your initial chance to get checked out. So is it like a sign of early brain damage? Is that what you're saying? It's is prolonged high pressure that causes brain damage. Oh, prolonged high pressure. So if they have a prolonged existing daily basis of these high um, blood pressure sure. numbers, that means that it is contributing to potential brain damage. Brain tissue okay. damage, yeah. And on the okay. Thursday, when I was actually feeling at my worst, that's when I could have been seen. And then I would have lessened the amount of tissue damage that was done to me by the Monday. Right, because you want to catch these symptoms early and treat them early yeah, before. That's, that's 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 the best. So what? So with this specific issue of blood pressure, what do you recommend people who are you who are getting pushback from doctors? Going, it's not it's not severe enough. It's not a severe risk, and and they are and they are measuring their blood pressure through whatever contraption they're using to measure their blood pressure, and they're getting this on 
multiple days, what do you recommend people do? Well, doc, my doctors are telling me now, if my blood pressure is above a certain level um, over a course of a day, I should just go straight to hospital. Okay. Okay. Go to urgent care or hospital. All right. So mm. you went into the hospital and they took a CT scan. What did, um, what did the CT scan reveal? The CAT scan didn't reveal um, anything because it's a very basic sort of scan. If you have things like blood clots, it would show an indication of mm -hmm. that sort of injury. Um, it was only when they did the MRI scan that's more in depth um, and it really shows up more intricate uh, injuries and tissue damages. Well, what did you see in the um, MRI brain scan? Like, can you describe the images that you saw in your brain scan? Well, they didn't show me that then, that you don't actually get that sort of attention. I actually only saw that scan itself when I went to see my neurologist about four months later. Wait, wait, wait. So, so they, they took your MRI and they took your CT scan and they didn't show you the images that they found? Why? Is that a protocol in the UK? To not see your own diagnostic? Yeah, it's standard. Is there a way to ask your G, uh, your GP? I want to see the test result. I don't want us to see a printout of it's okay or it's not okay. I want to actually see the image. Can you ask that? Because even they don't even they don't see them. Um, your own GP, they really? don't actually see your scans either. It's only something that's being controlled by your consultant in a hospital or a neurologist. Okay, interesting. So when you're in there, when you're in there and they're doing the scan, there's usually like a, like a screen, a TV screen yeah. that shows you kind of like you're doing an ultra scan, but that, that shows you and then they can say, oh, I'm seeing this and seeing that. You didn't get that at, in the UK? No, because you're, it's in a separate room, isn't it? Protect them, to protect themselves from radiation. Oh, So they yeah. do the scans and it's all sent by electronics or by computers these days. So they get the results, um, and after an hour, um, they then send it off to wherever it's going to go. But but while you're in the while you're in the, the 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 room, there's no camera showing you what they're seeing. No, no, it's all, oh. it's all hidden from you. Oh, that's different. Yeah, mm. I've I've been in some of those before, and I, I always see the image. So that's that's oh, different. Okay. That's, that's why I asked about that. Um, but, but I did they, see but, them like four months later. And, and when you um, saw them four months later, what did what did they reveal? Um, I had some heavy white shadowing to my temporal lobes, so the right the, the very front of your skull showed this this white uh, shadowing, which is what they made the prognosis from of my MS and/or dementia from. What is the white shadowing? What does that mean when they see that in your your brain scan? What is it? Well. This is, this is the question a lot of people don't know. A lot of people that I've spoken to, their consultants all say different things because they really don't know what it means. They can only guess that in your future. Right here? Is it right here? The frontal yeah, lobe right it's, here? It's in, yeah, temporal lobes, right to the sides. Yeah. Right here? Does, yeah. It come, does it come into here? No, basically it's just solid like white shadowing over here. Um, and that's where your headaches, was that where your headaches were feeling mostly? Was that where you mostly felt the headache? Um, possibly, but it was causing the, in, the pressure to build up in my skull. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't 
be able to pinpoint it because you just felt the pain all over. But because the shadowing, it was indicative of my chances of getting auto, an autoimmune disease, um, which is then important to their prognosis of MS and dementia. So, I mean, when I was in hospital, uh, two consultants come up to me quite just offhandedly and said, um, you know, we, we see this as being quite likely in your future. And just quite offhandedly just say that and just say, well, you know what it means, don't you? I said, well, yeah. And then they just walk away. It's quite um, unnerving. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up. Let me back up. So you, so you start getting high blood pressure early on, your early, early symptoms, headaches, fatigue, fogginess, you know, forgetfulness, et cetera. You called in, they kept pushing you away. And then when you finally got so bad, they finally brought you in and said, you should have told us earlier because if you would have told us earlier, we would have prevented some, some of this damage. Um, that got you that that is it seems that you can't go backwards and reverse and then they do these this MRI scan and the CT scan and they show oh yeah because you let it go by listening to them and their pushback it got worse and it created the shadow the shadow in your um, brain scan which is indication that you're going to eventually be susceptible to autoimmune issues and also um, MS and MS, dementia yeah in the future they they deemed it likely in my future okay so um and is there anything that you could do to heal yourself of that or to prevent it from getting worse did they tell you anything else besides here's your prognosis no this is it basically um okay so over, I mean, over the course of 11 days, I mean, I had those different scans. Had well, a, you, had, you had the deep ophthalmic um, scans for your so eyes. They, they basically, they numb your eyeballs um, with a, a chemical, which means it's more, much, much easier for them to actually go in with a scanner. So you, your pupils wouldn't, wouldn't contract and move around as much. Uh-huh. And they can actually just check to see what's happening in there, if anything. Um, and why why would they want to do so they did the, the ct scanner did the brain scan they already found those things why did yeah. they want to check your eyes they're, they're just making sure that there's nothing else going on inside your head without actually having a, a surgical operation okay. they just want to just to clarify there's nothing else happening okay. i even had a lumbar puncture and okay so before we get to lumbar puncture describe the um deep ophthalmic scans of your eyes what was that procedure like so people know what to expect if that is something that they go through um so the, basically it's almost like just going to your opticians um to have an ordinary test and you do various different um checks on distances and, and just just normal things mm-hmm. but then the last last procedure was actually putting a fluid in your eye um it's just a drop basically an eye drop but it, what it does, it numbs your eyes. And so you feel so tired and sleepy. And I basically just spent the next few hours after having that procedure done, just sleeping in my hospital bed because um, I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't read anything because mm. my eyes were blurry. But they were able to then to actually check that there was nothing else untoward happening. Okay. And if they were to find something in your eyes, what does that mean? It would just point towards a further um, problem or a, a possible 
answer. But when you've already had the results from an MRI and you're already quite sure of what's happening, there's no need to do further tests. Right. They admitted, to me, they admitted to me that there was no further need to do tests because we're quite certain what's happening. Right. But they still booked me the optician's appointment anyway. It's a backup. It's a backup. Okay. So it... If there, if there were issues with the eyes that it's connected to what your potential autoimmune issue that they noticed in the MRI scan, is that why the, the link? They never really explained it. They just they said that it's, something, it. it's just some, something that we need to do just to make sure, just to be okay. careful. All right. So then they did, they did the lumbar puncture of your spine. Why are they doing the lumbar puncture of your spine? What is that for? It would basically check to see if there's any infections in your body. It's a, it's a way of looking deep inside your body to make sure there's no other untoward infections that could be causing problems. Admittedly, they didn't need to do it. He actually mm -hmm. admitted that to me. He says it probably won't prove to be anything, but we'd like to do it anyway. Okay. Now, if I'd have known how painful the procedure was, it's comparable to women having epidurals, I understand. Describe the procedures so people are aware of what is what is involved. Um, basically, lying down on your bed, touching your toes, but then going much, much further. And going to the point when it hurts painfully, but then you have to stay there for at least 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, as long as it takes mm. for them to insert a very fine needle between the discs of your back so they can get your, uh, your spinal fluid. And then they can drain some of that away so they actually then carry out tests looking for infections and issues. They, so they drain the spinal fluid that's there and so then they can look around to see if there's any kind of um, infections. And um, that sounds painful, by the way. And when they do, and when they do, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, and when they do that, what do they typically? What do they expect to find if you did have an infection in your spine? They didn't explain what they would do about it. They just wanted to actually make sure there wasn't anything else untoward. Because basically, they'd already tick the boxes to say yes, I had this um, susceptibility to getting an autoimmune disease, and that was. That was bad enough, and they were quite. I won't say they were happy with that diagnosis, but they, they were quite sure of what was happening. Mm -hmm. Then everything else, they just really don't need to do. So they put me through a procedure that, although they numbed me several times in my back, it still hurt. Right. I then had to lay there still for half an hour to let the wound set and yeah. stop any chances of infections. Um, if you know of the risks of possible um, being paralyzed by that procedure. You can um, get paralyzed by having the lumbar puncture? You, you, you can be paralyzed. Um, Did they tell you that before? So you advised? You, they didn't tell they, you that you can be? They, they say there's a risk of complications. Um, but they also then say that we need to do this to make sure there's nothing else untoward happening in your body. Oh, that's quite that's quite a, a advisory notice. It's a, <laughs> um, there's, there's a risk of complications, but 
And also you're, you're lying there on morphine. So you're not really in the best position to be sure of your body's um, future prospects. Oh, wow. So, um, so. I mean, if I'd have known how badly it would affect me for, for months afterwards, I would The lumbar puncture affected you months afterwards? Yeah. What, See, how is it affecting you now? Um, I, I don't think it's affecting me now. I mean, this is like seven months later. Um, but for several months afterwards, it felt like my, my neck was loose. You know, you, you hold your head up straight and you, you've got full composure. Right. But it felt like my head was loose or rolling my, on my neck. I didn't have full strength. If I lay down for a scan, which I did um, on another occasion, I had great difficulty in lifting my head up because I just didn't have the strength in my neck. Mm -hmm. um, a friend I've been in contact with on Twitter who did have a lump puncture around about the same time as me in America has basically been lying flat prone ever since her operation because it, it went seriously wrong. Mm. They, did, they didn't warn her of the risks. Um, like they they didn't warn... So even when they do the lumbar puncture, they didn't warn you of the risks, but... but not the serious it, risks. Not the serious... Is it necessary to get the outcome that they need, to get the information they needed? Is it necessary? Is, is there other not, procedures that could have done to get the information they needed about she doing? A, she had a, a vaccine injury, the same as myself. So they've already got the information that they need from various brain scans of information that's happening because the vaccines cause brain inflammation. Mm -hmm. It caused a new side effect in my case, which was high blood pressure which then caused me to be uh, living with hypertension, which is an extreme high blood pressure condition. Right, right. So they've already got the, all, all this information, so they really don't need to do any further testing. What would be the point of further testing that have these high damage, Chances. potentially damaging, Yeah. if you already got the information from the other non-invasive tests? For so, is, for so many months, they've been having hundreds, thousands of people around the world all having problems from the vaccines. And they've got enough information by now, surely, to know what's causing these things like inflammation. Yeah, I just, I, I just wonder what, why the unnecessary extra procedures? Mm. I mean, I know the hospitals get paid for every single thing that they do. Well, surely that's, that's a fact. That's an answer in itself, isn't it? It is an answer. Um, because it doesn't seem to make any sense if they already got the information from the MRI and the CT scans and the eye scans, why they put the invasive procedure that could make yeah. you bedridden for a couple months? They admitted that to me, that we didn't really need to do this, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, hmm. Could you say no? Like, if you, were, if you knew that these were the procedures if and I they... Aware, I think I Could you say I no? Would, I would have said no. But okay. I mean... I'm, Thing. I'm already lying there on morphine anyway. Yeah, yeah. For, for several days, I've been happy as anything because I've got no pain. I've got no information because I've taken so many drugs, right. so many anti-blood pressure drugs. So it doesn't feel like there's a lot of things going wrong with me. And the only time I notice the problem is when I try to get up and go to walk, I'd feel dizzy. Um, the vaccine has altered my gait, so I don't walk normally. Mm -hmm. so these are the only obvious signs that there's pain going on in my body 
So when somebody says to you, oh, there's a, there's a possible chance that there could be complications from a lumbar puncture, we want, we want to do it anyway for your benefit. You think, oh, okay, yeah, go and, go and do that. <laughs> okay. Well, this is, this, is, this is exactly why I created CVAR so people can know what are the symptoms to look out for if they feel off and what are the potential medical terrain that they're going to have to navigate um, so they can advocate for themselves or advocate for their families and know, you know, what, um, what to expect if they don't want to get the, the lumbar puncture, if they already done three or four other ones that already state the cause, there's no need to put yourself into further, you know, right. so um, this is, this is what it's for. So let me ask you this. What do you, um, I mean, what kind of medications or therapies did they prescribe to you now that they learned all this? I mean, what 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 are you on now? Um, so probably when I had my neurologist neurologist appointment, you know, four months in, my condition has always been getting worse. Um, it's been an escalation in high higher blood pressures, more pain. So at that four four month mark, I then had new MRI scans arranged. She basically gave me another three or four different medications to add the, to the ones I was take, <clears throat> taking. So I ended up with hate taking about 10 different medications. All for blood pressures. I think I had about three or four just for blood pressure alone. Right. So Did you get any kind of blood clot medications too that they give you, anticoagulants? No, because they no. from the scans, they said that wasn't... Um, evident. I've okay. since learned that you can have a D-dimer test, which would actually point out um, small blood clots, which is something else that people need to be aware of because... Have you taken your D-dimer? I did have one when I was in the hospital recently because I've been... What did they say? Other problems. And they said that was clear. So that, I'm, I'm quite happy with that because finally, six, seven months later, that's something else they've now done. Okay, so, so you, you took a D-dimer, which is a deep blood clot um, test that you can take, and it came back that you are not deep blood clotting right. in, in the deep vein. Because they're very small, but they'll call you, still cause you serious problems, like oh, yeah. a lot of people have uh, experienced recently, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have, you're on all these medic medications for yeah. um, now. Like and pressure and headaches, and yeah, I mean... Anything and everything. Yeah, I'm in paracetamol uh, codeine mix, which is called Zapane here. Um, I also take a migraine medication, uh, which is sumatriptan. Um, that's basically just to control the serious flashing or the serious sharp stabbing pains I get, mm -hmm. of which I took, um, I've taken two today, um, purely just because today I felt a lot I'll say a lot better, but I felt happier in myself. Yeah. But, so I've been doing a bit more, but then obviously you get more headaches. So mm -hmm. it's just one of the side effects. You do more, the more pain you get. So, so, so you're taking the medications that they're giving you, and then you're also taking all the supplements uh, as well, just, right. to keep, just to keep your immune system up and primed. Okay. So um, now are you on any other kind of like therapies or physical therapy or any, anything like that? No, it's, this is um, quite an unfortunate thing. When I was ill many years ago, I had some balance issues. 
and they're very good, very quick to say what might be wrong with you, go for your sensorial rehabilitation. Mm. But one thing that's been evident since I had my injury this year, none of that exists. None of that is open to you. They're not willing to push for these things. It's because what they've done is they've created such a backlog in the National Health Service and hospitals that you've got people waiting so much longer for operations and uh, investigations. People are waiting years for simple, straightforward procedures. And there's people been dying of cancers recently. I don't know if you've seen some of the British newspapers, uh, just tragic cases when people have been waiting repeatedly for investigations. And then they sadly pass away because it's too late. Let me ask you something, Wayne. Um, when you go into hospital, you are seeing the different type of uh, patients that are there. What type of patients are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of vaccine injured like yourself or is it a variety? When I was in recently, um, about 60% of people that were in there were also um, vaccine vaccinated, but they're in because they had vaccine related problems like COVID. And wait, wait, how do you know it's 60%? Like, 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 I mean, how many, like, like, Oh, just, just through, through nurses or people that were treating them, um, basically. Yeah. So, you're, you're, so you're in, are you in the ER using normal uh, care? Yeah, I mean, basically I was in the emergency care room, emergency obviously care. when you were admitted first and first of all, and then you're yeah. assessed. Um, but you're basically stabilised and they find you a bed in a ward. So you, you get to see and hear what's happening around you. Mm-hmm, you got some time. You get to hear the cases over several hours and then you'll finally then put on the ward. Um, but it's, when you're talking to nurses and they're, t- they're telling you that it's repeatedly, this is what they're seeing time and time again. Um, it's the same pe- same things that are coming in. People are having vaccine injuries. So, so let me get this straight, Wayne, because you're going to hospital quite frequently now because of your, your injuries from after getting... To be clear, I mean... I didn't go in hospital again from those first four months. After I was discharged, I was basically left on my own. Right. Um, I, I constantly pressured my doctors, my neurologists, to try and give me appointments to find out what's happening because I knew what I was trying to deal with, trying to work through, mm-hmm. but it was a battle. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, so I, I then saw that neurologist, saw, had some new emergency MRIs, and they knew how serious it was because I got it done within a week. To get something that done that quickly within a week is quite an amazing thing here at the moment. You have people to, you have to. People yeah. have to wait a whole year just to get scans and appointments for certain things at the moment. You really have to advocate for yourself. You really have to push. You really have to push and advocate for yourself. Now, you are you allowed in the UK to, like, let's say you um, to have a family member accompany you and advocate for you, or is it just you by yourself going in? If you're of a certain um, diminished responsibility capacity, like say somebody who's very elderly, who might have early onset or some sort of um, illness that stops them making their own decisions, then you can have a family member. Okay. Um, otherwise you're on your own because it's still a COVID hotspot. It's just, they, they don't allow visitors. Okay, so like like when you went when you went into the hospital the first time, you were um, dire 
mm. you would they wouldn't have let you um come in with an with a, a family member or a friend no. to advocate for you no. I, I was i was rushed in from my doctors buying ambulance uh, blue lighted in um and i had consultants and various people see me and obviously yeah. stabilize me with pain relief and things just to try and find out what was happening but yeah, but you were not coherent. But you were not coherent when you when no, you got that's, in. That's, that's right. You, you're very much alone. Oh my I, goodness! I managed to take a lot of notes very early on, purely just so I had some sort of um, run through of actually what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only by keeping those notes early on, within the the first two weeks before I went into hospital, that I've got such a, a very uh, a great picture. Um, and I actually spoken to various people in the news, newspapers, reporters. Um, they're very interested in doing the stories, but they weren't allowed to then further put in those stories in the papers because of the media blackout that's been here. And yeah, you have to go to other. You have to go to other sources like the CVAR podcast that's that is thought. not that is not controlled by any kind of corporate entity. Mm, um, right. There's no conflict of interest. Just so okay. This is this is very fascinating. So in hospital in the UK, from your direct experience, you're saying about 60% from talking to nurses and doctors and other patient people in there, of the people swarming the system, they were all vaccinated. So they're having various symptoms from being injured after getting the vaccine. That's right. The, the most are seeing people who've had like two vaccines. And they're still getting COVID because they've not been prior warned that they should be on supplements and things to protect themselves in those first, early first few weeks. So they're catching other illnesses as well. So they're coming in for these other illnesses, but it, it is because their immune system is completely shut off is what you're saying. That's right. You're just not warned. There's nobody out there warning unless you go to these social media sites like Twitter that you find these little credible doctors and they actually have these notes pinned to their, their profiles actually saying look if you're real take this as a basic mm-hmm. um it's an amazing lifesaver for some if you know that information's there yeah but if you're not privy to that because of the media right. blackout or the propaganda or the suppression or censorship um in for this information and all you are privy to is the narrative that is approved by the hospitals or your government media then you don't know any of this stuff so you go into the hospital um and like we said like you said earlier in the discussion if you're vaccinated you may get ivermectin administered if you're unvaccinated you basically are left to but that's, that's write it out saying, that's not saying that every hospital will give you ivermectin because most of them still don't want to recognize it i spoke to consultants when i was in there previously and they've heard of it they know what it does but they, they won't do it, it. Administer. So, so you basically so basically give an event and there's nothing else and just basically ride out. So you you ride out in the hospital, you ride out at home. It's the mm-hmm. same exact care. Is that the case? That's right. That's amazing. That that is unbelievable. So hospital is not even doing anything different than what you're getting at home. So everybody should find ways to get ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and these you know boost supplements preventative yeah, early on your, your basic you know your herbal time. food shop and making sure you've got the basics at home just to protect yourself that a little bit more just in case just in case 
just just in case because we're find you're finding out that hospital isn't really a solution either wow that's 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 incredible um and so these vaccine injured really because there are reports in around the world if you go to DuckDuckGo search engines or any other search engines and sources that are not being censored or suppressed who are saying that the vaccinated are the ones swarming the hospitals and mm. when it happens in one country it's going to happen in all the countries regardless of how you report or what angle you report the information um, mm. now in the united states it's been known that the cdc will not recognize um covid breakthrough cases unless basically they died or they've been seriously hospitalized and if they and if they um pass on after about four, after 14 days or there's some time frame after they got their second jab and then mm -hmm. they get they they get covid it doesn't count as vaccinated because now it's the the efficacy has worn out so if there's you, all if you die within the first 14 days of being vaccinated you're classed as unvaccinated okay so that is that is the case in the uk that is the case that is the case in the uk so after, there's all these after those two weeks, then you actually classed as vaccinated. Okay, okay. So there's all these weird classifications for what counts as unvaccinated to make the unvaccinated numbers look even higher, but mm. not count the vaccinated numbers, which is really what you're saying is swarming the hospital. Mm. The exactly. real truth is that the vaccinated injured is what is coming in with all these strange symptoms clogging the hospital and taking away from the availability to address cancer patients or people who have mm. broken legs or other things. That's right. It's, it's putting such a, such a pressure on the hospitals. They just can't cope because they're dealing with all these other cases. Well, let me ask you about this. So now we're talking about hospital shortages. Um, mm. With the vaccine mandates in these hospitals from the governments, local or federal, and and nurses seeing this going, I don't want to get the I don't want to get the jab. Mm. Um, completely understandable. What are your thoughts with uh, with that dilemma that hospitals are understaffed because they don't have fully vaccinated staff members because ones who didn't want to do it because they know what is they're dealing with they've been dealing with this have quit or or uh, or pushing back. What are your thoughts on on that issue? That hasn't happened here yet. That's, oh, okay. just that's just been happening in France the last few weeks. And really? Record numbers of food videos I've seen of friends who live over there and they're obviously sharing it. And then you just see that the hospital are basically locking them out of their workplaces because they right. won't get vaccinated. Although they've been treating COVID patients for the last year, um, but because they won't get vaccinated, they're not allowed to work. The here, they're only making that mandated for like care home workers, but it's it's going to happen that hospital workers. I think it's already been announced, but it's not actually been enforced yet. What are your thoughts on that? Because you see what is happening. It's horrible because you're putting undue pressure on a fragile system already. They're already cutting down, they reduced the numbers of beds available for people for this Christmas, for the for the winter period. Well, is that based off of like is that based off of patient nurse ratio? 
because you have yeah, beds, yeah. you have a whole hospital of beds. Is That's that right. based off staffing ratios? Basically making things seem much worse than they are. If you take away several thousand beds from various hospitals, then you've got less availability for patients. And right. that then makes your hospital look worse or the situation worse because you can't cope. So if you right. then put in your media that uh, your hospital's overrun with COVID patients or whatever, that's not true because you've just taken away thousands of beds. Right. And, and then you're pressuring your staff to all get vaccinated. Otherwise, jab or job, jab or job, and that's it. Jab, and job, no. Force, you're forcing the public to think, well, oh, God, if it's that serious, I better get vaccinated. So it's so another pressure. It's another coercion technique. That's right. So these, these vaccine mandates in the UK for the hospital staff to go get vaccinated is another coercion technique to make the hospitals look like uh, they're overrun with COVID patients um, because they just basically just took out most of the hospital beds out of commission and they don't have the staff. And then mm. if you have staff who refuse to take it, then you have limited staff, which is a staff hospital bed ratio. And that's that's the cause for the overrun, not enough hospital beds. And then mm. you have... Um, then you have people coming in unvaccinated who have COVID and that's what they're going to count and they're, they're getting the worst care or no care at all. And then you have the vaccinated coming in, which you're saying is really overrunning the hospitals is the vaccinated injured coming mm -hmm. in because they're getting COVID breakthrough cases, but oftentimes they're not being counted as COVID breakthrough cases because they got vaccinated to skew the numbers to make it look like it's a pandemic of unvaccinated to force people to go get yes. the jab. It's all coercion technique. Of course it is. And so that's what, that, this is, this is it's happening driving, in the UK. This is what's driving our new pandemic at the moment, to get children vaccinated. Um, I know in America, they vaccinated a lot of children very early on, and there was a lot of injuries. Um, and there's a very good website called No More Silence. I don't know if you, you're aware of it. And they feature a lot of children who've got jab injured or who, who have died from their vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Here, we haven't really had a lot of children vaccinated because they've clearly said that they only want over um, over 16, uh, over 17 vaccinated first. So now they're pushing to get 12 to 16 year olds to be vaccinated. And they've said all along that the JCVI, which is the one who's basically, it's like the CDC, they say what needs to be done next. They've actually said in this country, they've looked at all the information, you do not need to vaccinate children because there's such a low risk, they're actually more at risk of harm from the vaccines, so don't do it. So what have the government decided to do? They've decided to push ahead with the vaccines anyway. Right. So right. they're going to push ahead. Um, they think that's going to happen this week. In this country right so i you make because they're following the the schedule for trials that's how they did go from groups and they go down 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 to um to infancy that's that's the trials um that in the united states and the united most of the pharmaceutical companies are in the united states so they're following the same exact protocol um but the the pfizer which is the 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 one that many governments have a contract with they never did clinical trials, human trials of anybody under 16 years old. 
they actually mm -hmm. have the, the trial data, which I'll put in the description, you guys, uh, from the FDA website. And you can look at that tri clinical trial report that they didn't do 16 and under. And yet they're trying to basically test all your children 16 and under with the experimental jab with no clinical data of long-term effects or any any effects. But they're still in trials, aren't they, until for another two years, all the vaccines. But yet all of this, all of this coercion techniques. Mm. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, because I, you know, I don't want to get into that discussion about, you know, people make a decision of what, you know, where you're going to stand, but it begs the question, people need to decide how far they're going to let their government push this onto them. Mm. So around the world. So, um, but let me ask you this. What do you, there's still people like this. What do you say to people who discredit your injuries as rare cases and continue to support mass absolute vaccinations via mandates and passports of what you're talking about? You can only dis discuss with people so much. People will either accept you or not. You mm. can't force an opinion. Um, if you try to reason, reason with them, um, they still decide to ignore you or ridicule, then you decide to, you have to block and delete. Um, that's all you can do. Yeah. You'd, so... have, to, you'd have two sided um, discussion and weigh the pros and cons. And it's up to somebody else to decide if they then want to have a vaccine for themselves. And, and I'll say that to anybody. It's up to you to weigh up the pros and cons. If you're of a certain age, and you think there's some sort of benefit to you because you are um, you're immune uh, suppressed, you know, you're, you, you've got long-term illnesses, then fine, it's up to you to design. Right, but right. If you're fit, you're healthy like myself or like I was, why would you need to? Right, right. So you're very much, you know, being somebody who's been injured by this, you're very much in the in the perspective. Everybody has free choice to take it if they want to, but get the information. However, um, the supporting vaccine mandates and passports and all these different coercion techniques is that where you draw the line? Definitely. I mean, why would you need to tell people if you're having TV adverts actually pushing them at kids now, saying, "Don't listen to your parents' kids." And then, this is what we've got some adverts running in the UK. This, in the really? UK yes. So basically, they, they're voiced like um, your parents have for your permission, have the permission to actually dictate whether you have the vaccine or not. Because under the age of 16, you're, you're not meant to be of suitable um, responsibility. Yeah. But they're actually saying to kids in the adverts that your parents might be wrong or ill-informed, and so they're saying that anybody over the age of 12 can make up their own minds. But yet they still need permission slips to go on a field trip. They still need permissions to do many things. They're not allowed to smoke, they're not allowed to drink, but you can have a vaccine that could have serious, serious effects on their health. What do parents in the UK think about that? Well, this is what's really starting to happen now because for so long, a lot of things have been hit. Um, you're now seeing a lot of more people pushing back. You're seeing a lot of people standing by the roadside, holding up these big 
billboards, signs to actually warn people of risks, because even the yellow card data here was not told about, not discussed for so right. long. I was never warned about it before I went in hospital. I only discovered about it in the months afterwards when I realized so many people were being injured. Um, my doctor said to me, yeah, we're going to report it to the yellow card site. And I trusted him to do that. And the hospital, the hospital told me the same. But to this day, I never trusted them. So you, the narrative that I heard back. Right. So you, could, you so, can't go to the yellow card website and look up your name because if you are reported, it will pull up. Well, what I did, I actually went to the yellow card website myself several months later and actually had some good conversations with them. And I, they couldn't find details, so I now have a record. Yeah. And I've also reported my case to AstraZeneca directly, so they also have a record of me as well. Your record keep, you're, you're, rec you're doing your due diligence by record keeping everything That's right. to build up your case which everybody should do. You know, let me ask you this, because this is uh, two more questions. So you are no longer able to work, okay? Is there some form of disability program in the UK or some kind of assistance for people in your situation? Um, there's benefits, which are very basic, um, but what they're also then trying to do with the vaccine passport that they're bringing in, it's also then gonna be linked to benefits. So if you don't get your vaccines up to date, you won't then be eligible for benefits, social care, credits, and things like that. So, yeah. Has, that, has, that, been, has that been rolled out that in the UK? That hasn't started here yet, but that's already started in other countries. At the moment, they're getting so much pushback from people over the vaccine passport idea that they decided to delay it and even scrap it. And then 24 hours later, they decided to bring it back as a winter care plan, as a plan uh -huh. B, in case uh -huh. this new idea that they had going forward didn't work. Well, let but me that, ask you some. Let me ask you something about that really quick about the vaccine passports, about the, the government's putting it out and then retracking it and then finding a different uh, framework to put it out again. It's almost like citizens should never leave their guard down, and always. Um, you know, be a watchdog to the governments to make sure Always that they don't believe what your government's telling you, because you wonder then what is next being released. If they're talking about one thing solid, solidly, it's like a distraction. It's like you then begin to wonder what else is going on in the background. Right. How are we going to get the people to get this jab and how are we going to bring forth this passport system, that's the right. social credit system? Because that's, that's because because in order. What you're saying is in, or, in the UK, in order to, to apply for disability in your specific case or supply, apply for any kind of um, social assistance program as a citizen of the UK, you have to be getting the COVID-19 vaccine. If not, you're not going to qualify. So it, it is like a social credit system. You don't have presently, any credit for social, uh, social yeah. services. Presently, that hasn't happened. But say they haven't launched the vaccine passport officially. They've pressured theatres and stadiums to adopt it. So if you want to get a ticket you want to attend, you have to prove that you've got a vaccine passport or you've got some form of having the, the vaccines. But when they roll it out officially within this next month or two under their winter care plan, 
um, that's when it's been all going to be driven up because the children's vaccines are starting shortly and it's all part of that same package and that's when mm -hmm. we'll notice huge changes happening over the next few months. Yeah, so what you're saying is like 60% of the hospitals are basically vaccine injured and taking up a lot of the staffing and resources that are been taken away by other people who are in hospital for other reasons. And then we go, your country is going to be vaccinating the children as part of a mandate for school immunizations with the COVID-19 vaccine that's under emergency use. And the logical connection would be then, then the hospitals will be slowly also uh, saturated with injuries from children who got the vaccination. This is what's going to happen. This is I've what's going to happen. My, I've already asked my MP to actually, you know, what's in place for these these things that's going to happen because there's going to be an element of risk, even if it's only very small. You know, some there are going to be some injuries or some death, sadly, at some point. What's in place to protect these kids whilst they're in school? Because you're only going to be having an outside um, vaccinator, this is the, the job that they applied for months ago, they've had dozens of people uh, been advertised for to do this. So are you going to have ambulances on standby, medical personnel, just in case there are problems? Because if you're getting adults dropping down, collapsing, dying at the moment, kids are going to find it much worse because their bodies are much more susceptible to problems. Right, so you have so, a Right. So you have a, um, a jab administrator in school property administering the, the, the COVID-19 vaccine on children yeah. and and then they can make a decision without parental consent yeah. in the UK. This is, this is it. They, they say that the child is old enough. This, any child over the age of 12 currently can make that decision for themselves. They don't have anything like that with any of the other school immunizations, do they? No. Only no, this it, one. That's right. But there again, they also had to say any other immunization that's been carried out over years, there was always that years of proof that it worked and it was safe. Right. So there was never, never that scary aspect to it. You know, parents could look at the evidence and think well okay it is safe so yes i'll go ahead and you can yeah my child and do whatever but and, no. they, and then you do it at the hospital you do it at the clinics by the doctors and the nurses and but this is you just do it at the school pop-up clinic or the school site administrator or whatever and there's no long yeah. this is just this is disgusting i'm sorry wayne this is disgusting and this is being rolled out in the uk and it is starting to roll out in this exact fashion in the United States. And parents need to hear this. I don't know if it was America or was it Australia recently? They had a like an arena, like a little stadium. That was Australia. Australia, and, yeah. And basically they just had all the kids queuing up for their vaccines and just, you know, herding them in just to get them done. Um, yeah, disgusting. Yeah, um, I, I read that story. I actually talked to some people in Australia because I have some friends in Australia that listen to the podcast as well and they send me information. And um, and they said that they said that it was voluntary, voluntary, but there was a lot of coercion um, for the parents to incentivize them to volunteer their children and um, to, you know, to get the consent. And so they had 24, and you're not going to, 
they're not going to see it on um, the major news stations in Australia or even in the world because they're not reporting that. So you will only see it in um, news articles or, um, you know, if you search it on DuckDuckGo. So it's still a lot of people do not know that it happened, but it happened. Um, mm -hmm. But they had 24,000 children um, that they bust or parents dropped them off into the stadium. And there was a prompter on the, on the on the screen that you know telling them that you're doing this for your country etc cetera, etc cetera. and and then everybody got uh they got jabbed and there were reports of two or three children who immediately were ushered to the hospital afterwards mm. um and that it was it is fatal for them and that is still uh kind of um kind of hush hush but those are the firm cases and some of the children actually took video of mm. of of um, the verse reactions happening right in front of them and posted it and it has gone I've, viral I've so videos myself and it's, it's been quite horrific other people who just sit there they've seen somebody's had a vaccination and they've, they've basically collapsed but there's yeah. a time they're waiting for the vaccine it's like wouldn't you question it wouldn't you think well what am i doing here shouldn't i go what is happening now? This is what's fascinating for me. I want you to understand this because you are going to be in a situation where you're having this happen at schools. What is going on with these um, school administrators, or even if you are in these pop-up clinics and sites, and your work? This is your work. What is going on in their mind that they're that there's no that they're just going along with it? That this is following the orders. What is going on? That is there no. Uh, moral compass is there no independent thought uh, same thing for the um the the patrons who are who are in line waiting and seeing this happen and then they just oh too bad it's a rare case i just watched it and then they line up for yeah. the jab what it's is going on case. in the minds of these people it's 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 the fear is still there the, the media is still driving it every day if you still think that there's a need to have it then Oh, they must have collapsed from some other reason. It can't be can't be connected to the vaccine. I speak to people daily, and I'll speak of my my story to anybody who'll listen, just to try and help save that one person of a possible risk. You know, I'm not telling people one way or the other, but you'll hear people saying, "Oh no, it can't possibly be the vaccine." Well, it was the vaccine. Oh no, you're mistaken, because they're so stuck to a government narrative. Yeah, that's, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 fear. So we come down to fear. If the fear is so great, people will sacrifice themselves and their children under the guise of safety if the fear mm -hmm. is so great. And they will even walk themselves into the gas chambers. I've spoken to teachers, some teachers. And there's one, there's a, there's a good good fellow, I, I know I won't say his name, but um, and he's actually one of the few who will actually stand up, who, who said like he, he wasn't prepared to use the, the masks for children because it's been proven that they don't work and it's just right. it's, it's rubbish. But against a couple of other teachers that I know quite well, and they're all for the children to be vaccinated because they're so full of this hysteria and fear. Oh, I know that it needs to be done. They yeah. don't see that there's a huge risk to them, but yeah. They don't see the other information that you have been privy to now that you are injured 
Mm-hmm. And you now are privy to the, the information that you were not given before. Right. I, under- I understand that. I understand that my, my sister is going to vaccinate her two children as soon as pos- humanly possible, as soon as they're able to, regardless of any information, because that's, she believes in the, the, the fear and the narrative, the same one that you're privy to, we are privy to in the United States, refusing to see any of the other information, even if it comes direct from the source of the FDA or the NIH, refusing to acknowledge that as maybe misinformation, refusing to acknowledge the videos, refusing to acknowledge any of the case studies, the VARES, the yellow card, because the fear has overcome the logic. Mm. And, um, and there's nothing, there's nothing that will, come, will get through to some of these people until they have their own injuries. Mm. That's right. I mean, that's what I'm getting. Am I completely off about these people? Am I off? It's that, it's that fact you ju- you've just said there totally. You know, during our summer here, we had so many youngsters, probably the same in America and worldwide, all rushing to go on holiday, but you can't go until you have your vaccination. And here, they were pushing it on the, on the, on the kids saying, you've got to be vaccinated to go away to Spain to wherever you want to go. And they would do this. And I've had that many people contact me on... Twitter. Now, my inbox is, I mean, I never used to talk to that many people on there anyway, not private conversations, but it's full of people either saying, well done for speaking out, um, here's some information that you might find helpful, or the other is, um, I've had a vaccine, I trusted what they said, I'm now regretting it, I've ruined my life, what can I do? And it's heartbreaking because these are young people you know, their lives ahead of them. They've got very young children and they've done something and they've wished they hadn't done it. It's, um, it's really, really hard to read at times. Yeah, yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it is really hard and we're still in the thick of it because it is, the, the narrative is still running so heavy and even more heavy um, onto people. And, and I know a lot of these people Nothing will get through to them, absolutely nothing, until somebody in their family has an adverse event, and mm-hmm. then it forces them. And even that will just be like, "Oh, I was a rare case. You keep getting your your jabs." Uh, so that you know, that's a whole different question about psychology of human human beings. But let me ask you this, um, Wayne, because you know everybody. If you want to continue to follow Wayne, I'll give you the information for him and then also his crowdfunding site because he's not able to work anymore um, as well to kind of help him, um, you know, in, in the interim. But is there a last message that you want people to know? Because, you know, you have people who really believe the fear and the propaganda and would not look at any others. And you have people on the other side who know the other information and, you know, and everybody is going to be in the same mandates passports vaccinated children the same the same boat around the world everyone's going to be in the same boat whether they've been vaccinated or not vaccinated and there's going to be a reality that they have to choose if they want to move forward and live and allow to escalate or do something about it i mean what is your last message coming from your unique situation of seeing the inside of what is happening at the hospitals you really you have to stand up for what you believe in you know, if you need to be sold on something, 
if need to be offered a bribe, which is basically what it is, here's a million dollars, here's a get out of jail free card as long as you get a vaccine, here's a free milkshake. If you need to keep offering these incentives, surely that makes you question there's something wrong with it. Kids here in the summer, they're off tickets to festivals and concerts. And whilst they're at the festival, they can get their free jab. Why is this need to drive people to do that if it's just something that doesn't affect a huge amount of people? Then the numbers vary depending on where you look, but 99.7% I think is, is frequently advertised of people that won't be affected by this virus. Now, that leaves a very small number of people who've got illnesses, prior problems, and fair enough, yeah, if that you feel that you're going to get a benefit and it's protection, go for it. You know, it's your decision. But why is this constant drive to get everybody else to? Children have been proven not to need it, but they're driving kids to get it. They're driving young babies to get it next. Um, I think is it in America that they're starting from Christmas, from winter time, um, babies as young as six months old. Yeah, they're um, they're talking about that. Yeah, That's... but why? If they've got no prior risk, I mean, they've got pregnant mothers here being driven, being told to have right. their vaccine vaccinations, and so many of them are miscarrying because of it. It surely tells you there's something wrong. Yeah everybody needs to start looking at the governments because that is where all the information is coming down to the public health systems and everything else. And also the, the public health care systems is driving, you know, everybody needs to look at that. Well, Wayne, this is a very insightful conversation. One that people need to hear because they're not going to get it um, elsewhere. So thank you for fighting through the heavy censorship to tell your experience. Everyone, you can follow Wayne's journey on his Twitter page, which is twitter.com forward slash W-A-Y-N-E-T-L-C. And then you can also donate to Wayne's crowdfunding site on justgiving.com. And the exact links is in the show descriptions, along with some of the other links that we mentioned in this um, episode. So lastly, thank you kindly to our listeners for listening to another insightful conversation at CVAR. Until next time, be well and blessings. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of CVAR, where vaccine injured share resources and hope without censorship. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. The views expressed are for information purposes, but do not replace any medical or legal advice. Please subscribe for more interviews. Blessings.